began so long ago with a band of Queen's Park men. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Spiders Talk podcast. David Blair, Calm Sure, Enzo Tamanini back once again. Once again, we've got a review and a preview for you. We're going to look back at what happened up at Cove uh, on BBC Scotland. Hopefully, plenty were tuning in and uh, found some enjoyment in the game there. We're going to look ahead to the Inverness game coming this week. Not on a Friday night, not on a Saturday 3 o'clock, but a Saturday 5.30 kickoff. We'll have a little chat about that. We're also going to round up our, our week in Queen's Park news as we're going to try and make sure we always do every week. And for those of you that may remember... We did start a long time ago talking about like our favourite Queen's Park 11 from our time watching the team. We're going to finally come back round. We were all the way down to the strikers and it's kind of fallen away for a while. We're going to round that off and get our final 11 posted. So, say let's first of all go back to last Friday, away to Cove Rangers. It was on the telly. I made the trip up on the bus. Calum and Enzo, Enzo, you first. How did you watch it? Were you at home? Would you have friends around? Would you even at the pub watching it? I wasn't. I kind of wish I had gone to the pub to watch it, but no, I, I ended up going up to my uh, up to my mum and dad's and I watched the game with my dad. So I um, it's always a bit of a novelty seeing Queens on the TV. It's just a shame that the result didn't go our way in the end. But um, there, there were some positives despite the overall disappointment of Friday night, I think. Yeah, I was I was actually buzzing to watch it on the TV. As you mentioned, it is, it is a proper novelty. It's not something you get often, especially with all the sort of punditry and, and all those kind of frivolities that, that surround it. So it was it was nice to see us there. Shame about the result. But it's, I mean, we're recording this on Tuesday. I'm, I'm far enough away from Friday now that I'm already looking forward to Inverness. Yeah, we, we definitely are. We need, to, we need to always keep looking ahead. And I'm sure that's something that, you know, own coil wants the team to be doing to look ahead and making up for mistakes and making up for results that don't go our way but we are going to have to go back over and have our little chat about what we think as Angel says maybe went well but also what went wrong let's look at the start in 11 now there was of course the, the enforced change that was going to have to be made because Dom Thomas swapped his football boots for a microphone and was part of the, the punditry team on BBC Scotland that was the only change that was made to the starting eleven. Um, for Dom Thomas dropping out, Grant Savory coming in on the wing. So again, just very quickly running through it. Ferry and goal, the back four, Bannon, Eze, Kilday, Robson are two central midfielders of Thompson and Boateng. McPake, Jarrett and Savory in behind Simon Murray up front. So we will start with the positives and Although, you know, we did go down 2-0 in the end, a classic football cliche, on any other day, we could have scored two, three, four goals ourselves. We created a lot of good chances, and I got the chance to obviously watch the game back, because it's still on BBC iPlayer, and I, not not just alcohol-fueled, unfortunately, but I forgot that how well at times we played. Obviously, it sounds a little bit silly saying that, that we didn't score, we didn't get anything from the game, but... Andrew, you said there was positives to take. We looked dangerous, which is, for whatever reason, didn't take our chances. Yeah, I mean, we nearly scored pretty much immediately, didn't we? Not not long yeah. after kickoff. I don't know if it was maybe, what, a minute or two into the game and, and it would I have been it a totally... It, was it probably was. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. It was basically the very first opportunity that either side had as soon as the game kicked off. And had we scored straight away, I think everything else following that would have totally changed and, and we would have built, you know, we'd have had a bit of momentum, which... Cove's heads might have gone down a little bit, but 
the main the main positive for me, and this is something that Coyle himself has touched on in interviews and when we've heard him speak in the past, is that we continue to play that really good football. And yes, there were more defensive errors, and I'm like a, we're like a broken record when we talk about these defensive mistakes because it's such a common thing, unfortunately. But we did still play a lot of good football. When that stops happening and we're struggling to score and we're defending poorly, that's when I think that it's time to really start worrying, but we're not at that stage. And there are still signs, because earlier on in this season, we were scoring a lot of goals. We had these defensive frailties, but we were scoring a lot of goals as well. We've got that in us. So trying to remain positive, I, I think maybe the guys should have been, for, for, what, for whatever reason, they were a little bit apprehensive about taking a shot. There were certain opportunities where I was screaming at my TV, just hoping that somebody would have a good dig at it. It didn't happen. The result didn't go away, but there were some positives to be taken from that game. Yeah, it kind of had feelings back to previous seasons when we were playing a lot of really tidy football in and around the edge of the box, but no, not that real cutting edge that, it, to be frank, at the start of the season, we were we were pretty used to. Um, Simon Murray obviously got off to an, an absolute flyer at the beginning of the season. And I wonder if it's a wee bit of confidence tailing off in our, our forward pack right now, because, I mean, when you look back, we've not had a striker score since... Cliftonville, if you're if you're not including sort of Thomas and, and Savory, like between Murray, Williamson and um Kenny, Cliftonville away was the last time that anyone scored. That was Williamson. And prior to that, the week before in September, it was it was Hamilton. So there's clearly a wee bit of a wee bit of a problem up the top end of the park. Because there was plenty of chances in that game. And you do wonder on another day if you've got a, a confident Simon run, Murray running onto that ball right in the first couple of minutes, whether he, he scores it. And that's not to discredit him too much, though, because I, I do think, like, especially in the last few games, his build-up play and his hold-up play is still really, really good, and he does create an absolute shed load for the team. But there, there's clearly something missing right now, and, and hopefully it can come back soon. I think someone who's just kind of casually observing our results and scores and stuff like that would maybe have looked at Murray's downturn in goal-scoring in goal record and assume that something's going wrong, but it would be quite harsh on him to say that he's not playing as well as he was at the start of the season. Yes, he's not putting the ball in the net anywhere near as much as we would love to. I mean, I, I, was, I, was, worried, I was worrying, I was wondering if at the start of the season he might go ahead and, and end up scoring 14 or 15 goals. Maybe looking like a bit of a pipe dream now, but it doesn't. it, it would be really harsh. To, to not take into account all the hard work that he does put in at that end of the pitch. And and even even when we're in situations where we're, for example, trying to hold off when we've got a lead and we're trying to see out the 90 minutes, he does so much to get involved and, 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 and you know, keep the ball. And yeah, it's just, it, the, the, there's so much to his game and it's not just the, the goal scoring. Yeah, and it's, it's hard work that does translate into quality chances as well. Whether or not other players in our team take those chances alongside him is another thing. But you think last week he set up Robson he had another one today where he also set uh, today on Friday, sorry, where he also nearly set him up. There's been plenty, plenty of quality. Whereas before in previous years, we have seen a Simon Murray where it is all effort, but there isn't that sort of final element to it, whether it be a goal assist or creating a chance. So still plenty in there, still lots of opportunities. But as you say, Enzo, I think we'd be more or should be more concerned if we weren't making any chances and we didn't have that build-up play obviously you listened to the or you watched the the game back David afterwards because you were at it at the time but if you listen to the commentary in the first half of that game they're like there's almost an expectancy <laughs> that we were yeah. going to score at some point and that's when I, I did start to get the fear I'm like don't start talking about it that way please yeah, that was like the first mention, I think, was around about the 55th minute or something like that. And the commentator said, oh, Queen's Park, are, they're going to look to 
get a goal early this second half, otherwise we're going to start thinking it's not their day. Well, unfortunately, that's exactly how the, the, the day did uh, transpire. I mean, looking back at the chances, I mean, Simon Murray probably had the two best chances of the game. He had the, the shot right after kickoff. We played the ball back to Ferry, then it went long, and he got the shot away, and it was saved, you know, the very first minute from McKenzie in the Cove goal, who... I think he was coming in for the, the normal goalkeeper. I forget his name now, but he had a good game. He had quite a few saves here. He had that one from Murray right at the beginning. Probably our last like really good chance of the game was Simon Murray again uh, with around about 10 or 15 minutes to go. And it was that one where he kind of cut inside and he hit the shot, but Scott Williamson had came on and, and it looked like he ran across and I actually thought that he kicked the ball out, but the ref gave a corner. So again, I'm, you've got to credit that with a, another McKenzie save. So Simon Murray, he's, he's getting those chances. I just don't know why it's not quite falling for him. That is obviously slightly of a concern, but as Andrew says, you know, he does so much more for the team. He's in no danger of being dropped or anything like that. He's still our best option up front. And what he does brings everybody else into the game so much and has created goals even in the last month or so for other players. So fingers crossed he finds a goal and, and breaks this sort of little drought that he's in. But looking at a few other chances as well, going to have to pick out Patrick Jarrett, who after those two Murray chances probably had the biggest sitter where it was some great work in between Thomas and, and Savory. And he sort of leans back as the ball drops to him and he sort of shanks it completely wide from about 10 yards or so to the right-hand side of the goal. That was a bad miss, but overall, uh, pretty football being played at times. Uh, that kind of lack of cutting edge and I have to be a little bit concerned at the lack of goals at this moment in time. Well, in terms of the lack of goals, I, I will say that, unfortunately, I, I don't think Williamson added too much when he came on against Cove. I, I don't know what the reason for it was. I don't know if it's maybe the way they were set up they were sitting quite deep and, and he just wasn't able to get in behind them or whatever. But I'm actually starting to question because we, we've all been a little bit disappointed in Johnny Kenny so far as well. And Williamson's still young, he's still inexperienced and he's got a lot to learn at this level. I'm actually starting to question whether we might be looking at bringing in another striker in January. Uh, at the expense of who though, that's what I'd be interested in because do you do you persist with, with Johnny Kenny at this point? He's going to have probably more opportunities before well definitely have more opportunities before January to prove himself. Um I wonder if it might be a, a one out, one in scenario. If it has to be a low knee, then potentially we might look at ending his or, or I don't know, that the, there's maybe another name or two that you'd consider if that's what it comes to. But you never know that if there's that there might be some options out there that are free agents or don't know, looking for clubs at the minute. But I, I do think we we need somebody up there with Murray that can quite consistently put the ball in the back of the net. My other positive that I wanted to make a note of from the, the game before we come on to talk about what went wrong was just the, the away support in general. I mean, it was a pretty small travelling support, but maybe we were benefited by being sat right beside the, the TV cameras and we were picked up a little bit better on the microphones, but it was a good effort from everybody. I did keep going, tried to make a bit of noise, a good sing-song throughout the game. Did it sound good on the telly to use? It sounded to me as though the cameras, or the microphones, I should say, were on the away support for maybe the first 10, 15 minutes and then moved. Because I know that they've got the ability to <laughs> to focus in a certain area of the ground when it comes to the audio. And yeah, it felt it sounded as though they maybe took it away from you. But yeah, at least the first 10, 15 minutes, it was pretty much all you could hear. And uh, I'm not surprised. Anybody that's taken time off on a Friday afternoon to, to head up to 
Aberdeen for a game that's on the TV on a freezing cold night as well. By the way, I don't know what it felt like up there, but it was cold. It was cold enough down here that night. Yeah, you're 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 certainly going to need a few drinks to heat yourself up, and I'm sure uh, you'll make the most of it and, and make as much noise as possible. But yeah, fair play to everybody that made the trip up. I was I was still tempted right up until the very last minute, but it was just a little bit too tight with work, unfortunately. Um, in hindsight, I'm not entirely sure whether I'm too bothered that I missed it, but um, yeah, fair enough. I mean, I. I how many? How many were there, David? How many fans would you say there were? The the bus that went up, I think, was a was it maybe like a thirty five seater or something like okay. that, and maybe wasn't completely full itself. But there were people. There was actually a couple of pickups along the way, and um, then there was there was a probably a good group. I don't know, maybe fifteen or twenty or so folk that were actually had made their own way to Aberdeen okay. and were you know doing their own various other things there. So yeah, maybe a total support ballpark area of fifty or. 60 or so dotted around for the away fans for yeah for it being a, a friday not not a nice time to go up you know a cold november night live on the telly as well you know as you say Aye. i pat, pat myself on the back but yes it is a well done to everybody that went up yeah i see if you've still got the recording david of the of the game kicking about have a wee listen back because i'm almost convinced i heard you at one point screaming after we missed a sitter it was it was very distinguishable that's probably why they moved the microphone away. What it could well have been, it could well have been a scream after it went 1-0 Cove. Let's segue that on very nicely on nice, to start to nice. talk about the negatives because we didn't have to wait long for for an early goal. Um, remember the air game where we wanted a reaction from the previous week and we went behind after six minutes to air. We went behind after three minutes to Cove and not only was it obviously 1-0 down, but it was... I said it I said it last week, didn't I? I was like <laughs> I, I heard I heard I heard that he was becoming not rubbish and Enzo said you're a liar or something to that effect. And there it he is ruining our much exactly that. I, that was pretty much yeah. exactly what I said. And he actually not even just the goal that he set up, he was He was awesome. just decent, really he a, one of the best a, players. Yeah, he had a very good game. He was he was a handful on the wing, which is what he looked like probably in the first game or two with Queen's Park and then just for whatever reason kind of fell away. Yeah, he got a few goals in his time with us, but he never really showed that kind of, yeah, that that spark that he came to football Queen's Football ability. With, but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, the football ability, but I tell you what, it was it was on display um, on Friday night there. The whole game, he was, you know, taking guys on, he was tr- twists and turns and he was whipping crosses in and that has been our issue all season. And as I say, it took three minutes for Longstaff to twist and turn, give himself a bit of space, whipping a ball in, and we'll have to come on to the debate as to who is at fault here because he whips a ball in. It looks like it's landing, well, I mean, it lands maybe three yards out of goal. Stephen Eze jumps at the near post and even though he's jumped, still can't make his header, misjudges a flight of the ball and ends up the ball going over his head. Alex Bannon clearly isn't aware that Connor Scully's right on his on his shoulder, who nips in, gets a, a toe on the ball, although I think the commentators weren't sure if it was an own goal or not, but Scully was claiming it. But Calm Ferry, again, you know, you've got to make the argument with the distance that ball landed outside the goal, he's got to be coming off his line there. Between Ferry, Bannon and Eze, it's a it's another shambles of a goal to concede. Calm you first. Do you have anybody you want to pin the blame on? Do you think there's multiple at fault? What, what, what's your take on this goal? Kind of any of them could have fixed it, couldn't they? Um, they all did 
pretty poor in their in their own individual way. Eze should have been in a better position. We've seen this a few times where he seems to be flailing in the air and, and not really making the most of it, unfortunately. Bannon gets caught short, not looking after the man at the back post. Granted, I didn't really see the run and how how that sort of came about, but he's he's lost his man, gets in between them. Not what you want. And we've discussed this a few times about Ferry in terms of coming off the line and making those uh, those catches in the air. And there was a period where he was very keen on punching it. Obviously, he had the disaster the, the previous week and getting a goal straight off the back of that. So he's clearly knocked his confidence a wee bit in that respect. But we've kind of called it out all season that we think that that m- might be a deliberate thing where he's getting told not to come off his line. We've seen the period where he was coming off his line all the time and uh, it's it's definitely his weakest area of his game, good shot stopper, but but often fails at that point. So whether that's a coaching decision, I'm not sure. But yeah, take take your pick. Any of them could have fixed that, that scenario and, and they didn't, unfortunately. And it goes down to defensive error number, God knows what, at this stage. Teams are going to keep trying to exploit this against us until we show signs that we're starting to improve defending balls like that then and you can't blame them we'll see it again i'm absolutely certain that we'll see inverness try to do the same thing against us on saturday these managers are all watching the highlights and watching other teams games and and they'll know how to take advantage of our defensive weaknesses for me to be completely honest with you i tend to think that ezzy should have been in he should have been able to clear that header i don't i think for a guy of his height who we've seen do okay in the air, although to be fair, he seems to be better uh, going forward in the air than, than what he is at the back, but I just feel as though he should have been able to clear that before you, it gets to the stage where you're questioning Ferry or Bannon. Yes, Ferry could have potentially come out, Callum's covered everything there, has he been told not to do that? Who knows? Bannon, his position wasn't great, he wasn't really marking the, he wasn't really marking Scully, but like I say, I, just, I feel as though if you're picking one of them out, and I suppose there's maybe not necessarily any need to do this, but yeah, if you're picking one of them out, I just feel as though your six foot six centre back should be getting that. It should, it should, it should be getting that every day. Yeah, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna side with Calm. I think it's a case of there's, there's a lot of errors that I'm, I'm not happy with, and it's a bit of them all uh, at fault. For me, we, as you said, we've spoken off about Ferry in the past and stuff. I don't want to go over that but what then surprised me that there were a few occasions in the game after that where he was coming off his line quickly he was coming and collecting crosses there was another good Louis Longstaff chance where the ball's played through to him and again he's tried he tried like a I don't know what you call it, like another wee Zidane turn or something to get away from Ferry to, to slot it under Ferry's charging out I think that's around about the penalty spot he's charging down at his feet almost diving head first there it's, it's not like he's not He's not brave. He is brave. We've seen it a few times where he's he's happy to put himself on the line there and say, I don't know. I don't know. It's another yeah poor goal to concede. So, um, sorry. So I I tend to, the reason why I tend to believe that this is something that he's been told to do is because we've seen issues with you know other issues with Ferry's game that he has clearly worked on and improved. Whereas in this area, it's not something that we've seen in, we've not seen much improvement or much change in the way he approaches these balls. That's why I'm I'm confident with, you know, we have a really good goalkeeping coach. And if it was a skill issue, I think we would see improvement. But I'm just I'm I'm fairly certain that he's being told that when there's a defender between him and the ball that he should stay on his line. I, I don't think there's any other explanation for it at this point because it's such a consistent 
aspect of his game that nothing else makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you might be right there. Um, I hope you're right because, as you say, we're we're running out of ways to explain it away if if that's not the case. So, yeah, we'll I suppose we'll never know on that one, but we just have to hope that the coaching decisions perhaps change or or, or the decisions are tweaked a little bit for all the players, and we just finally start defending our box a little bit better. So that goal was obviously conceded three minutes into the game, and we've already spoke about how we did play some good football. And I think then for the majority, in fact, I think for the first half, we were the better team. We were on the front foot. Yes, I say Cove did have a couple of chances. There was that Longstaff chance I just mentioned. And Mitch Meganson, who had a quiet day at the office for him, he had a good chance where he had a, a sort of half volley, again, from about 12 yards that hit the post behind the goal that holds up the net. A few people thought that was in at the time. But yeah, we, we created some chances. We couldn't quite take them in the first half. Second half started. The second half felt a lot more even to me. It didn't seem like... We had that same, especially after the first five minutes or so of the second half, where you can see Cove are just going to stifle us and, and not let us do what we want to do with the ball and, and work our way through. And it became a little bit of a slog. It started getting a wee bit long ball and stuff. But we got a couple of injuries to talk about before we go to 2-0. Obviously, the first one was Stephen Hetty, who... There was a, I think it came originally from the corner and the ball went out, came back in and he collided pretty strongly with Sanders, I think it was, wasn't it? The um, Cove player. And the two of them were down for, for quite a long time. Uh, Stephen Eze then couldn't continue and was substituted off. I mean, obviously, first things first, we, we obviously hope he's all right and that it's nothing uh, serious. He just was maybe taken off as a precaution. But I'm bringing this up because not just talking about the defensive woes against Cove, We've had our defensive woes all season. But Charlie Fox was back in the squad. Now, he was just warming up for different, a few different times during the during the game. He never got on off the bench. But he may well be very, very close to coming back in. And if Eze is completely unavailable, or even maybe if he's just 50-50, do you think it could be a good chance? We've mentioned Eze before, could well be Coyle's boy, in air quotes. Do we think this could be a good opportunity to give Eze a week off, bring Fox in without maybe causing too much of a stir? I'm not sure. Well, it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's going to be a lot of pressure on Fox to perform at the level that we know that he can straight away after what's been quite a long layoff. And we're still not entirely sure of where he is in terms of his sort of fitness journey back to, to full health. Because I was, to be honest, I was I was relatively surprised that they didn't just put him on if he was on the bench um, after Eze came off. Because uh, I don't think that, that Bannon had had his strongest game for us. I, yeah, if, if Fox is 90% fit, I would be inclined to play him, even if it's just from that sort of organisational perspective. Because obviously we'll come to talk about Robson as well, but I was contemplating our defensive options um for the game ahead and you could end up with an obscenely young and experienced defense aside from Kilday um next weekend which does give me the, the fear a wee bit and don't get me wrong I know Charlie Fox is is uh is young as well but he's a bit more experienced than the rest of the guys who are in the fold right now yeah the so the the Izzy injury actually did look quite bad to me obviously we've not had any sort of update from the club regarding the, the specifics of of it and whether it was just protocol just to just to be careful in case in case there was more to it than what we saw, 
Um, when it happened at the time, I thought both players had come out of it pretty badly, but I think Eze did get the worst of it, unfortunately. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm glad the Cove guy didn't get hurt either, but um, I don't think Charlie Fox is going to come straight into that starting lineup without having played a couple of games off the bench, and I think we are quite likely to see this relatively young defence that, that Callum is talking about. I suspect, assuming again, we, we, we don't know, but assuming that Eze is not able to play against Inverness, I have a feeling we could potentially see Kildare and Bannon at the back with Davidson at right back again. I would love if we had an option, you know, a kind of Tommy Robson-esque right back as well, but unfortunately we don't have that, so we're going to have to make do with the options that are available to us. No disrespect to Davidson, I like him, I think he's really great going forward especially, but we've seen some weakness when it comes to nippy little wingers running at him. I don't know if Inverness actually have that, to be fair. But um, yeah, fingers crossed Desi's all right regardless. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, fingers crossed that, that Robson's going to be all right. A little bit different for him. He kind of went down uh, holding, I think it was a hamstring or a groin, something certainly in that area. He tried to keep playing, but then had to had to come off. And uh, he went off, David Boateng came on at left back. Obviously, we've got David Boateng, who has now played left back a couple of times, but we think by by trade, he has a right back. Obviously, the only other option at left back is really then going to be Cammy Bruce, who is... 16-17, are we going to be willing to throw him in if Robson isn't available? It's the one position that we've not had to really worry about for like the last 18 months. Robson has been an Ironman, he's not He's not missed a minute pretty much out of those two options. Enzo, would you go with Bruce or David Boateng if you were having to? It's an interesting question. I think realistically we're more likely to see David Boateng to be honest with you I mean he's a young guy as well it's not as though he has bags and bags of experience but Cammy Bruce is very young and very inexperienced so yeah I I, I think we would start with I I think I'd probably start with David Boateng and then we can see how that plays out initially and if there are any concerns about him playing left back it could get shift you know Coyle might shift it up a little bit but I just can't see him. Coyle has said in the past, to be fair, that if he thinks a, a young player is good enough, he, he has no qualms about chucking them in. I just think Bruce is, is very young and I would be quite nervous about that. It, it could have, if it goes wrong as well, a young guy like that, it could, he could have a serious knock in his confidence as well. And uh, I would rather not take that risk if I'm being completely honest with you. Uh, it's really difficult, isn't it? Because we said at the start of the season, like who is Robson's replacement? And... It is in theory Bruce. I assume I've. I don't really know what I've seen of Bruce has been has been really really positive. So I wouldn't be madly averse to him starting. But summer times I'd be more concerned about the impact it might have on him if if it goes badly. Um, but between the two players from football and ability wise, I mean I've, I've still not seen enough from David Botang unfortunately to suggest that he would end up a regular start in the championship. So if it's one of these ones where you can give one of your younger guys some development opportunity experience in the team, then it, it would be good because if we want him to be a sort of formal deputy to Robson, perhaps in the next season or two, you're going to want to to bleed him in. And if Robson is injured, then you've got to give him that opportunity. So we all obviously saw earlier on in the season, just kind of towards the tail end of the transfer market closing, we saw that there was interest in Cami Bruce from a few big clubs in Scotland and even down south. So people have always been watching him. He's been scouted. We know that he is a good young player, a very, very good young player. Other other teams know that we've got a really good young player on our hands and they want to take him off us. Part of the concern for me is that 
like like I mentioned before, I think the rest of our assuming it is he's out, we don't know yet. I don't know realistically whether we will find out before Saturday, to be completely honest with you. But let's just assume that Eze can't play because he has taken this wee knock and, and he's just not quite ready to jump straight back in again. You could be looking at a a, a defensive lineup with three guys who have Davidson's not quite as young as Bruce or even Bannon, right? But that is still a very, very, very inexperienced back four. And it just, that worries me. That worries me. But saying that, even when we've had our more experienced, slightly older guys, and it's not as though we've been completely watertight at the back either. So maybe changing things up like that might not have as big a, a negative impact as, as what I'm fearing here. Yeah, and I think <laughs> I think what you said at the end there is very pertinent. Like, we've still got Jason Naismith kicking about, and I would... Again, I would just kind of like to know what his role is. If it's not in a scenario where you're still unsure about your right-back position, you've got your centre-back injured, you've got one noted centre-back, he's played a wee bit of centre-back before. In fact, did he not come on against Inverness, actually, and make that really, really smart foul when we were up the, up, up there? Um, he did all right. I, I just kind of want to know what his role is in the team, because if it isn't to come in on occasions like this, then I'm not sure what it is. And the fact that we've had this conversation so far and he's not really came up um, kind of tells you, well, I think it tells you a lot for a guy of his experience. I think there's a good chance that um, Jason Naismith is asking himself the same question, to be completely honest with you. I'm sure he's had conversations with Coyle and they've discussed his place in the team. But for me, I, I don't see where he fits in at this point because it's just we've not seen anywhere near as much of him as what I thought we would have done by this stage. Yeah, got to agree with you there, especially on that last point. And it's, um, it certainly leads to some interesting decisions, potentially, for the lineup this uh, this coming week. We'll obviously discuss that later on as, as we go through the episode. Say we lost, obviously, Robson to injury, and then it wasn't too long after that where Cove went and made it 2-0. It uh, started from a, from a goal kick, long ball up, and the ball came to Yule in the Cove midfield, who then was running towards our left back, so towards where Robson perhaps should have been, or would have been, and he then played a diagonal through ball, sort of back towards goal, split right between Kilday and Bannon, who were, when you look back on the sort of highlights, or you look back at the replay of it, they're absolutely miles apart, again, just not well organised there, Scully spots the, the ball coming through, makes a run, first time finish under Callum Ferry, and that that really killed the game, and, and yeah, got got Cove the three points. It's just it was a disappointing goal to concede. Um, I, I don't even know if after the substitutes I was just a little bit numb to it. I don't know if it was just because of the cold I was a little bit numb to it as well. But it just felt to me like that second goal and that killer blow was coming. Unfortunately, it did. And yeah, those last ten fifty minutes we just couldn't really react to it. I didn't think we were going to come back into it when we went two behind. I I don't know. I don't know if, if that was just like a general feeling based on what I've seen so far this season or if it was just because I felt as though if we were going to score by that point, we would have done it just with all, all this lovely play. Um, but we we need to get that killer instinct back. We had we, we were scoring for fun at the start of the season and this was arguably when we had less firepower up front just based on the players that have come in on loan since then. So, yeah. I'm not. I'm. I'm not worried too much. I was. I was quite disappointed, to be honest with you. I thought that that was an, a good opportunity for us to to bounce back after being a little bit streaky over the past five or six games, or or so anyway. Um, but hey, we, we've got another opportunity to do that on Saturday against a team that are quite depleted on on the injury front. So so fingers crossed that 
the, the team have got it in them to bounce back after a, a very disappointing trip up up north. Yeah, I'll give them a bit of credit for their second goal, to be honest. I thought it was a very, very good pass. Again, we've got some defensive mishaps going on. There was a lot of space guy left on his own, but um, it was a really, really good through ball from their uh, their, their player, so I'll, I'll give them that one. And it was a shame because this was a wee bit of an opportunity as well, because let's be honest, both teams ourselves and Cove were not on the, the best run of forms. Obviously, we had the, the 4-0 game, which was, which was excellent, but either side of that has been relatively poor. And it's going to be similar when we come up against Inverness. They've not won in their last four games at this stage. So it'll be two teams uh, scrapping for a win. So it should be interesting. I believe the last game Inverness won was against Partick Thistle as well, actually. That game oh, everyone's beating Partick Thistle. Everybody's beating Partick Thistle. All these wee teams just propping up the championship, <laughs> isn't it? I, but it's, it's crazy because you say that and, you know, we, it's true. Our, our recent form is, what, uh, one win and two draws in the past six games or so but at the same time we're still only just a few points off the top of the table it's, it's, it's wild yeah yeah it's uh how many times do we have to say it it's a crazy league this um but we just need to be taking advantage because these you look at these games and as you say but aside from the 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 demolition of Partick Thistle I mean it's dropped points and every week and it's daft goals and just letting ourselves down but if you just think if we could have just put that little run in and you look back at games earlier on in the season, the pre- the previous game against Inverness, the first game of the season and stuff like that, there's points getting left out there. It's not it's not too biased to say that we could be top of the league and we could maybe even have a slight cushion if we just didn't keep shooting ourselves in the foot as we seem to be doing on a weekly basis. We do, but I guarantee you every single team who's up there right now, fans are saying the exact same thing. They'll, they'll all have had games where they feel as though they've chucked points away. So, yes, we have shot ourselves in the foot quite a few times, but at the same time, we should probably be thankful that nobody else has decided to run away with it yet. So, aye, we'll see what happens over the next few months. But I do feel as though between now and Christmas, this is it's going to be a real opportunity for somebody to take a good hold on that first place. Just hope that it will be us. Um, last thing on the 2-0 defeat away to Cove. Your man of the match, though, I'm going to give it to Jack Thompson because I thought he was... I, I didn't think he played particularly well in the midfield. He was he was everywhere, a lot of energy. Some good football as well put in there and he had a couple of shots on goal himself. He was unlucky. Um, yeah, for me, best player in the park. So, Jack Thompson. Yeah, same for me. I can't... Uh, I couldn't possibly give it to anyone else. He was, I think, objectively our best player up there, so 100% Thompson for me too. Right, three for three, he was he was excellent, and that's that's been a while now that he's been uh, he's been doing very well, and between him and um, Mal, they're top of our, our league table for Man of the Match awards, I think they've both got three each, if I can count correctly. Yeah, this is his third one as well, so competition between the two midfielders to, to see who wins it at this point. Yeah, some partnership that they formed on the park, and my last little bit just off the park, I will say that, obviously, those of us that were on the bus, as I said before, there was maybe, I don't know, 25 or so on the bus. One of those that was on the bus was club president David Hunter, who I think, you know, amongst other people at the club, you know, many have expressed the frustration about, you know, a number of things, you know, for Queen's Park, mainly off the park. Of course, we've got, you know, the stadium moves and stadium build and the the lack of information coming out, the lack of any kind of official communication from the club, whether it's to 
you know, paid members of Queen's Park or whether it, you know, sees diggled, all that kind of stuff. But he was on the bus and he did come up and sat in amongst uh, those of us that were sitting up the back having, you know, we weren't having drinks on the bus because you're not allowed to do that in football. We were having our packed lunches is what we were doing. Um, but he came up and spoke to us and, you know, we got a chance to have a, a, a wee talk with him and hear from him about, you know, obviously how the, the team are on the day going up to the game. And of course, we get the chance to ask a couple of questions about, you know, things that, that, that we wanted to speak about. I will say, and I'm maybe people will roll their eyes and not like this, but even talking to him, he did say, and he was obviously talking about, he was quite candid about things, and he did ask that some of the things that were spoken about weren't published at this moment in time because they were perhaps due to be published in the near future. I'm going to respect that because he is the club president at the end of the day, and I'm I'm not here. I might have opinions about the football, but I'm not here to actually piss anybody off. So I'm going to respect that. And I just hope that if he was to hear this, he appreciates that. But, you know, everybody was talking about a number of things. We were, And I made a big point about the, you know, the lack of communication, especially with the lesser hand and build. He did acknowledge that and, you know, said that you know, with hindsight and things, you know, perhaps should have been better and things like that. There was a couple of things, you know, people are talking about that Sunday Post article last week, which suggested that we might be moving back to Lesser Hamden. There was, uh, not to Lesser Hamden, sorry, to Big Hamden. Um, you know, and, and a couple of other things here and there. He was very good. He was very open. It just, part of that made me a little bit disappointed. He's not done it more often because he was good when he spoke that way. But then, as I say, there's a part of me that's a bit frustrated that it was those of us that had to go on the bus to Cove got that chance again it just felt like the select few getting that but i made that point too and i was like i you know do hope and if anybody the club's listening do hope and do wish that we start getting a little bit more communication i'm sure there's reasons behind stuff and all that but at the end of the day we're we're struggling out here we really want something we want some good news there's got to be some good news coming yeah and it is good that there was clearly some form of communication there i just think that we need stuff that is a wee bit more forthcoming to the to the wider group. And I think people appreciate that there is lots and lots of hard work going on in the background. Um, at the club, there's tons of different projects going on all over the place. But fundamentally, we just need to know a few key points. And clearly, from what you were saying, David, you recognise that there's been poor communications. But we, we have heard that a couple of times. And hopefully, hopefully that will that will get rectified in the future. because so much to be excited about and I think we all want to be excited about it and we know that there's going to be bumps in the road to get there and I don't think that the club need to shy away from um, from discussing them and just being a wee bit more transparent about them just so that we have some idea of where we're sitting because what you don't want is the exactly what you're alluding to is the kind of Chinese whisper scenario which which is invariably happening right now we know lots of wee tidbits of information but not the not the kind of it's not been publicised as to what the the full um, extent of it is. So, yep, finger, fingers crossed we do get some good news soon um, and that we get a wee bit more comms coming our way. Yeah, I'm absolutely certain that the people behind the scenes are working very hard to get us where we need to be as a club. And I mean that geographically and, and with all the all the stuff going on behind the scenes as well. And, and I'm fairly confident that we will eventually be looking back on this period thinking, okay, thankfully it all worked out in the end, but people would appreciate being kept in the loop a little bit more. So so as you say, let's hope that, that they, they up their game a little bit with that respect. And, and fingers crossed we get some news about this this Hamden situation pretty soon as well that we've all 
heard unofficially, but um, which seems to be seems to be pretty true. So yeah, fingers crossed. Absolutely, and um, I say that will roll us on to our our news segment of this week's episode, which of course starting with um, there was that post that we obviously discussed at length last week where it was in the Sunday Post newspaper where it was suggested that we would be moving back to Hamden. Doesn't appear to be anything um, official on that yet. Um, I think the longer that that just sits there staring at you and you keep reading that, the more I'm like, okay, no, actually, yeah, let, let's go back to Hamden. Let's get in there. Let's let's get back home, isn't it? I mean, whether the club come out and say yes or no to that, that's out there. that has been put to print. They're gonna have to answer that at some point, aren't they? Yeah, I think I think so. Um, no smoke without fire and all that kind of stuff. Um, so so hopefully they 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 do announce something. It would be nice, wouldn't it, just to have um a, a few games back in the in the south side. And it's important people need to be in the local area for all of the community projects that the club is wanting to do. All that sort of stuff. You need people in the local area to be engaging with it. So. It would be nice to have that and hopefully that's a precursor to being here sort of longer term, which would be uh, much, much needed. Yeah, you're absolutely right. In terms of on the park for Queen's Park in the last week, we had obviously a couple of the associated teams with games. There was Young QP played Dundee in the Reserve League last Tuesday. So obviously after the um, the big teams drew to each, we then played Dundee Reserves against Young QP. It was a 2-0 defeat. For young QP, it was Alex Jakubiak with the two goals for Dundee. Um, it was a really young QP team. Normally, when it's been that, it's been like kind of a mixture of maybe first team players or first team subs and the youngsters. It was pretty much all youngsters apart from Charlie Fox, who did play the first forty-five minutes on his comeback from injury. Um, so, as we were saying earlier on about whether we'll see maybe changes in the defence this coming week. It's maybe an indication if he's got 45 minutes under his belt there, if he maybe gets a full week of training, maybe he will be available, who knows. Um, but yeah, a 2-0 defeat for Queen's Park, uh, young Queen's Park in the reserve league there. Queen's Park women won 2-1 away to Kilmarnock on Sunday, uh, the day a- or a couple of days after the Cove game. Abby Callahan and Trialist. Unfortunately, can't give any credit there, but Trialist with a 90th minute winner. So if you're whoever that is, it's looking to get a contract there. She's obviously done very well for herself. Queen's Park women still sits seventh place in the SWPL2, but obviously closes the gap to Stirling Uni and Kilmarnock, who they beat there. So well done to them there. That also looks like quite a tight division as well. Not quite as tight as the championship, obviously, but there's a, there's quite um, there's not too much between the teams. And, and by all accounts, from what I read on Twitter, it was an excellent performance by Queens Park women there. So so well done to them. And then our last little bit of news, just wanted to bring it up and just then to get kind of opinions on that. You know, it's this new era, Queens Park and modern football and all that kind of thing. I noticed that we announced a training kit sponsor. Um, <laughs> it's Dimaggio's, the pizza place. Um, I don't know if it comes with any free pizzas, but they are sponsoring our training kit. I've no, and I've heard from a few people that you know the number of sponsors on. You know, I think we've got now what is it like three on the shirt, and we've got short sponsors. Now we've got training kit sponsors. I mean, for me personally, I'm. <laughs> I don't particularly care. Like it's it's modern football. At the end of the day, it's money into the club, isn't it? Are either of you footballing purists and want you know keep the money, keep the sponsorship out of football that's ruining it, or are you are you all for it? 
I like having uh, good football players at our squad. I've got kind of used to it over the last couple of years. So um, I fire away, sponsor as many things as you want. Shoelaces, the full, the full booner. Um, I'll, Enzo and I have also spent years watching ice hockey and it's it's nowhere near that level of sponsorship that they've got all across their tops. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely fine with it. And to me, like if you're getting more and more sponsors and it shows you that the the commercial space are doing something right to attract people to the club, selling them a vision or wh- whatever it may be, that it can only be a good thing that sponsors want to engage with us. I totally agree. It's it's surely a positive indication that there's something worth getting involved in. So, you know, these companies aren't chucking their money at the club for no reason. They, they know that it, it's going to be worth it for them. And to be fair, right, I, I totally agree with you in terms of, as much, I, I don't care if the strip is covered in sponsors, to be totally honest with you. It doesn't make much of a difference to me. What I do think, though, is that it's a good thing that the majority of the sponsors are relatively local companies. I wouldn't like us to be plastered in, I don't know, you, you see sometimes, even in Scotland, uh, some premiership clubs have, have had sponsors in the past in their betting companies. or something like that. Cri- cryptocurrencies, <laughs> betting companies out in the Far East that you can't even use here. Weird things like that. I'd rather we steered clear of that if possible, but Overall, it's, uh, I'll be honest with you, it's not something that I'm particularly fussed about. Yeah, that's a, it's a f- funny that you mentioned that one about the, the betting company, or especially uh, that particular one. Have you also read that story about Man City in the last couple of days where it, it looks like they've increased their commercial income by, it was on like 30% or something, and most of it's coming from this weird company. I don't know. We're Hopefully we're not at the stage yet where we're having to cook any books, and I certainly hope it's not going to be that way for a long time. So, Aye, yeah. The, the, the person who is noted as the CEO for that company is, is like a stock Google image person. It's not actually a real person, so there's clearly some uh, oh, some shady going on. But yeah, I sponsorships fire away, and DiMaggio's um, David, Enzo, and I love pizza, so um, yeah, if you're fancy, <laughs> fancy giving us a few discount codes for the podcast, and fire away. By Spiders Talk Podcast, sponsored by DiMaggio's. I'm, I'm more than happy to read a wee bit out every week if that's what we need to do. Yeah, definitely. We'll need to get that forwarded on to them. Um, right, let's move on. Let's get back to, and let's finish finally our let me see if I remember all this our favourite amateur starting 11 from our time watching Queen's Park which is like circa 2005 to 2019, 2020 that's about right isn't it? I think that's most of the caveats yeah 2005 yeah. is a little bit later than what I would have said but for the most part oh, later. I... So I, that was me thinking selfishly so yeah say, say oh. the last 20 years <laughs> the last 20 years so yeah for me it's about 2005 so yeah we're saying basically since the year 2000 up to yeah 1920 when obviously we, we, we turned unprofessional we are at our strikers so we will recap the entire teams at the very end here but we're going to look at our strikers and we're going to name two strikers each um well i say we're going to name two strikers each but what we're going to do we're all going to name one striker and then we've got a couple of different ones to choose from after that so the striker that we're all going to choose is the EK goal machine, Jamie Longworth, who was, um, I mean, he played in the team at you the know, same time as, as Davy Anderson. Obviously, Davy Anderson was an absolute wizard, but Jamie Longworth, one of those players that in front of goal, just, I don't know, it's just so natural. Yeah, he was, he was so, so good. And he just... He didn't look like he should be a decent footballer. Do you know what I mean? He wasn't particularly athletic. He wasn't particularly fast. He was just great at scoring goals. 
and that he had such a good goal scoring record it was sort of verging on one and two maybe a wee bit maybe being a wee bit favorable there but that that's considering a significant period of time as well where he was playing sort of out in the right which was which was weird under the Gardner Spears era but you're right I mean out of all the players that we've picked from the junior leagues for us to go and pick Jamie Longworth and Davey Anderson at the same was it the same time it was the same time wasn't it it was the yeah, same they, season they we got the two of them aye, aye we got did we not pick them from the same season the same team the two of them like absolutely absurd correct me if I'm wrong there I'm, I'm not sure about the timings but yeah you're right absolute absolute steal um did well for us obviously he went on to was it Stranar Alan Steny I think so he had a decent sort of lower league career, but um, yeah, he was absolutely excellent and one of the very, very, very few guys. Like when I was looking through this, who is who was a true natural goal scorer. He just he just knew where to where to go to get the goals. Yeah, and that's such a such a rare thing to come across. And I mean, even now you see it in the championship. There are a few clubs in this division that are absolutely crying out for a guy that knows how to find the net the way Jamie Longworth was able to. And I think you're right. I'm sure his goal scoring record in the league, obviously, he would have played a few cup games here and there as well. Was it was one goal every two games, which is outrageous for amateur Queen's Park playing mostly. And I think he would have. He was only with us in League Two, wasn't he? We, we didn't we didn't spend any time in League One when he was there. Oh, I've got it here. Yeah, sorry, Enzo. He was, so he was three seasons in League Two. It was ninety eight league games, forty one goals. So not yeah, far off. You're not far off. You're basically one and two. Yeah, let's be generous. One and two, and he also played thirteen games in in the various cup tournaments. Four goals there. So Pretty incredible you know, stuff. Absolutely phenomenal. And uh, yeah, it's difficult to come across for us even now in the championship, never mind when we were back in League Two and completely amateur. So it was a bit of luck that we had him and a guy like Anderson at the time at the same time, but they, they definitely were a joy to watch. And I think anybody who's watched the club over the past sort of fifteen, twenty years would really struggle to leave Longworth out of their, their best ever starting eleven, I think. Yeah, it was that 11-12 season when he scored 20 goals in the league, which I think at the time, I'm afraid I'm not going to remember the exact length of time and who it was previously, but I seem to recall that we, well, we all went down to Stranraer, I think it was the last game of the season, and he had to score was one goal to get that 20 goals, and he was going to be like the first Queen's Park striker in like th- at least 30 years or something like that, to score 20 goals in a league campaign. And he'd done it, you know. Yeah, that that season alone, uh, a brilliant accomplishment. But yeah, his, his entire time at Queens Park, brilliant. We talked that goal scoring record. He's just another one of those, just a, a great footballer to to watch. As Calm says, not the most athletic, not wowing the crowd with skills or anything like that. But he just always David Anderson. He just always found a way when the ball was at his feet to make something happen. And um, and he was a great guy as well. I remember a couple of times, I'd say he's from East Kilbride, which is also where I grew up. I remember bumping into him a couple of times in local drinking establishments and harassing the life out of the poor guy. Um, but he always took it well. So, no, good guy. He definitely makes um, definitely makes our, our best 11 as one of the strikers. Calvin Edzo, I believe you two are going to share another choice. Your two teams are very, very similar, but you are going to share your choice here. Yeah, we, we, we've picked a lot of the same players throughout this, haven't we? I think we've picked pretty much the same lineup, other than a couple of centre-halves, if I'm not mistaken. So, Aye. it just, I mean, we've both obviously just got excellent, excellent taste. And, and that's, <laughs> that's all it is. That's all that's it is. You're, you're going for the sort of meme team here, David, picking guys that, that most people wouldn't seriously pick. So, listen, I, I've, got a lot, 
I've got a lot of time for all these guys, and you're starting to live in as well, David. But um, but they, they wouldn't be mine if I was looking for a to build a, a Queen's Park dream team to compete. It would certainly be a laugh to watch, though. So so I. But the the other striker that we're going for is a guy who we actually had on the podcast a couple of months ago. So if you've not listened to that, then you might want to go back and find it. Is uh, David Weatherston, who was a key part of the two thousand six two thousand seven playoff winning side, a, a, a team that anybody who was lucky enough to, to watch would have had a great time. They, they were they were so entertaining. They, they played some brilliant football. And uh, yeah, he was he was an important part to that. Scored plenty of goals that season. Really came onto a game and, and got a, a big move to St. Johnston after it. So he is uh, our strike partner for Jamie Longworth. Yeah, and you were talking about goal scoring numbers because he came in and he, I think he scored like five goals in the first season and then he really had his breakout year, the one when we got promoted and got his, I think it was 18 goals or something like that. So he didn't quite break that 20 barrier that, that Longworth did. But I even think like, see, even if you're setting up, obviously we've just kind of generically done this as a, a 4-4-2 for ease. But even if you had Wellison and Longworth up front, I think that'd be a pretty good combination because Longworth's hold-up play and passing was pretty good. So... I think that would be a, a decent strike partnership. But yeah, really really enjoyed watching Wellison. Blistering pace, sort of pretty raw, but um, made use of it in the season that we got promoted. And it's a shame that he kind of got hampered with, with injuries and stuff like that throughout his career because he was one of the ones that I truly thought was going to go on and, and kind of make the make the big time, so to speak. Um, but he, he still had a good career throughout it and was, was excellent for us. Yeah, he absolutely was. And obviously, as, as Enzo made a, an excellent plug for we obviously you guys had a good chance to, to sit down and speak with him a, a few weeks ago and yeah he was really good chat then and obviously spoke about his time at queens and and everything that he did afterwards so that would be your i think you're right i think if it was making an actual best queens park 11 then yeah we're going to be hard pushed to beat a, a strike partnership along with and weatherson yeah I'm, I'm maybe going for the meme team but see i actually see even right now i'm actually debating between who i've told you guys before we're going to record who I was going to pick, and my very first honourable mention. And I really, I, um, I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to take, I'm going to switch my honourable, my first honourable mention around. And it's, it's going to be controversial, I'm sure people will. But see, when you're looking at like the actual numbers, and when you're looking at, I'm going to, I'm, oh, no, will I deviate from my meme team? Stick ignore with that, me. ignore that, yeah. Stick with my heart, not my head. My striker up beside Jamie Longworth is going to be Michael Daly. Because as a, the team that I'm picking, my 11, is the team that I enjoyed watching the most. And Michael Daly was a guy that absolutely loved playing football and absolutely loved scoring goals. Again, I'm maybe not picking the best footballers that have graced the park for Queen's Park in my time. But the the character of that guy and, yeah, at times, sort of the, the desire for him to, to work in... Yeah, he's just one of those guys that I just really enjoy watching. We used to have some excellent songs on the side of the park about him. He absolutely loved all that as well. I mean, I say not the greatest footballers and that kind of thing. His stats weren't, you know, his stats were still pretty decent. Again, for a time when we were, let me see here, what division? It's all third division. So it's from 2009 to 2012 that he played for us. So in the third division... 122 game, 133 games, sorry, and 22 goals. So, not I, bad for a Queen's Park striker of that time. I reckon, honestly, right, 
Shall, shall I go through our teams? Shall I read out our teams now that we've just kind of... Oh, no, wait, no, you've got one more striker. You've got one more striker. No, 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 I've done Longworth and Daly, but we need to we need to make a, mention a couple of honourable mentions as well. Um, but yeah, just Mick Daly in general, as I say, it was just one of those guys that, for a number of reasons, it was just that sort of really good <laughs> era of, I suppose, maybe it's a bit of nostalgia looking back, isn't it? But it was like that period of time where it was going to every game, you know, we were all really enjoying ourselves, say a load of utter nonsense patterns at the side of the park and everything like that and some good moments. And Mick Daly was just one of those guys that just I just enjoyed watching. So yeah, for me so, for me it's him. So I've I actually I can understand why you include Mick Daly in this because I personally have always had a lot of time for guys like him who just thoroughly enjoy playing football for the club. Especially back then when realistically, you know, they weren't they weren't getting paid for it. They weren't they, they never really had ambitions to become premiership-level footballers or anything like that. They were just having fun getting out there every Saturday in front of the fans and, and putting in putting in a, a solid shift. And that's part of the reason why, for example, Mick Dunlop will always be one of my favourite ever Queen's players. So I, I, I get it, and, and I think, fair enough, he, he'd be an honourable mention to me as well for, for all of these reasons. My honourable mention that I was potentially going to swap him out for, but I, I still think pushes him quite close is it's going to be Lauren Shankland despite the fact that he was only obviously at Queen's Park for a season and he was what I mean obviously came through the ranks here he was what I don't know 16 17 for that season that he was in the first team he scored something like was it 15 goals or something like that I'm just looking up right now bear with me I don't know if either of you have it to hand quicker than me just scrolling through qpfc.com if you have not got any idea where that is Go and have a look. It'll give you all the stats, if you're into that kind of thing, of every player that's ever played for Queen's Park. Uh, Lauren Shankland, 36 games, 36 league games, 12 goals, 8 cup appearances, 3 goals. And as I say, he was 17 at the time. And for a lot of that season, he was being played right wing, but he has a striker. That, that was an incredible return. And I always remember the goal that I remember, I'm sure you guys will remember it, the 5-4 cup game. Partick Thistle, it was like one of the first games of the season at Hamden, which was wild there was like three or four worldies scored in that game his was the very first goal of the game and it was like a mad half volley from about 35 yards out on the left hand side, looping over the Thistle goalkeeper, it was an excellent goal I, I really enjoyed watching Shankland and that's all he tended to do was just screamers, it was like every time he got the ball something impressive was going to happen and he was never particularly great at like beating men or anything like that he just I just had this great ability for scoring absolute belters, and he's obviously done absolutely excellent with his career, really. I mean, got himself capped for, for, for the national team and all that as well. So, I fair play to him, and yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good shout as, a, as an honourable mention. You mentioned there that he's got himself capped by the national team. I think based on his recent form for Hearts, there's a very good, very good chance that Steve Clark might be getting him involved uh, in these. We've got some friendly games, don't we, coming up? I can't remember exactly when they are, but I would be surprised if he didn't get a call-up for them. So, yeah, um, I, th- I think Shankler was great for us. He was entertaining. He was only, as you say, David, what age was he, 17, 18 or something like that? And he looked it as well. He did look like quite a wee guy, but he, he was. you could see that he had talent even then. So, aye, it's a, it's a reasonable mention, definitely. You guys get any others you want to add into the list? Well, I've just got one more. So I, I wanted to put in uh, Frankie Caro. So he first came to us back in 1999, I think. So this was back when I first started 
um sort of engaging with queens when i was when i was pretty young and he's kind of definitely from a nostalgia perspective for me he's kind of one of my my first sort of queen's park icons and he didn't have i mean he had a good school goal scoring record i think he scored like 35 goals he was with us for for a reasonable amount of time across multiple seasons so i think he had like 147 about 140 50 starts 50 odd sub appearances um in, in the league so played plenty of us got a few goals kind of wee stocky guy um but always used his body well and he had he had a wee burst of pace especially at the at the start of his career and um my dad somehow managed to acquire his uh, his football boots for me at one point when I was a kid which was pre- pretty cool when you were when you were wee so yeah he's he's up there for my my honorable mention yeah that's understandable i remember carol uh, when he came back, because I believe he left and came back, didn't he? Maybe even more than once. I, I can't remember I? the specifics of his career, but I remember when he when he came back and I uh, he was a big part of the championship winning season. Just as just about the time that you first started watching the club, Callum. So I think I think that's fair enough. But beyond him and the names that we've already mentioned, I would kind of struggle when it comes to out and out strikers because they're few and far between at that level, especially if you're not paying your players and uh, considering. When you take that into account, the fact that we've had these names that we've discussed come through the club is actually very, very impressive. So no doubt we're forgetting someday and we'll be reminded of it at some point when, when somebody listens to this and says, oh, how did you forget to mention so-and-so? But um, no, for me, I think we've covered we've covered all the, the main names. The last one that I'm going to mention, I've got to round off a, a meme team honourable mention, I suppose, haven't I? It's got to be Robert Dunn. Because of course, yeah. my, my I think one of my very first games of you know coming to Queens Park, obviously, Callum was the one that introduced me to Queens Park, and still remember Sorry this about day. That. My, my, for everybody listening, apologies. You're, the reason that you're stuck with me is because of Callum. Right. <laughs> um, but one of the very first games I remember sitting down in Hamden, like okay, right, find out, asking question, who's that? Who's that? It's playing, and I said, who's who's the striker? He goes, Robert Dunn. I went, right, okay, is he good? No, right. <laughs> and, then I, and then I just turned. I went, okay, man, that's my favourite player, and I, and I um I think when I signed up on the forums initially, it was feed the done and he will score is my name or something like that, and yeah, yeah, it took a wee while for people to realise that I was kind of joking about that, but yeah, um, he wasn't. I suppose when you're talking about the level of strikers that we used to get, that used to, he used to be one of. I think he he played an awful lot, did he not? considering the kind of level we were at and maybe the um he played I mean the talent. thing is Robert Dunn Robert Dunn had played at a higher level before coming to us quite like, I think yeah. he played for Thistle and he played for I want to say St Mirren as well. I can't remember exactly where he'd been. You kinda got the impression watching him most of the time that to be completely honest with you, he he couldn't really be arsed. <laughs> he, he he was quite a lazy player and, and he wasn't really he was maybe allergic to running as well, but he had the odd moment where you could see that this was a guy that did have some footballing ability. So... Do you mind the, the, the cup game against Hibs where Robert Dunn started that game in midfield? And I swear to God, it was like he was possessed. He looked like the best footballer ever. And then he went off injured and that was kind of then the end of that. The end of that camera because he looked absolutely fantastic. It was... It was surreal, and I think we were all sitting there thinking, "What's happened here?" And then, uh, I, yeah, as you said, so maybe, maybe it was that Enzo. Maybe he just couldn't be bothered. But when we when we came up against the big team, he was he was ready to go. That's how I always I always felt like he just wasn't in the mood to play football, which is a bit weird for a guy that was 
a football player. <laughs> so, so yeah. I. But yeah, that was one last honourable mention there, and that, as I say, then rounds off our favourite eleven. So, Calm, do you want to run through our lineups very quickly, and we'll get them posted on Twitter later on, and people can pick through them there. Yes, so I'll go through Enzo Nice. God, it really is very similar. I honestly right. I think that is indicative of the two thousand and six seven team being objectively better than most of the other teams, right? As a collective and individually, they were much better than them. And I think, see, when you pick around the edges of that team and you throw in players like Longworth and Wellison, they themselves were also just a bit of a cut above everyone else. Um, but yes, we, we we shall start with so goalies. Um, Endo and I had David Crawford, um, at left back Barry Douglas, right back Peyton, centre back, this is where we differed, so I had Agostini and Richard Sinclair, Enzo had Sinclair, then he also had Bruff, but then he forgot Mick Dunlop existed, so it's Sinclair and Mick Dunlop with Bruff in the bin, and then from there on we've got Galt, Troughton, Anderson, Kettlewell, Wellison and Longworth, so I think... Here's a question for you, right? You put that team together right at this very second in time and they play our squad. What is what is the score? Our current squad? Oh, against the current Queen's Park? Aye. Just um, to clarify, we're taking these guys in their prime and not now as like 48, 49-year-old men. Yes, yes. We're going to give the current squad a chance. <laughs> um, it's a good question. It's I really think difficult, current, isn't it? I think our current squad would beat them quite comfortably. I, mean, I reckon it would be the de- the the defense more than anything. Um, well, for me in particular, Agustini and Sinclair, I think could potentially be a wee bit slow for 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 Simon Murray. But I reckon I don't know. Pete, Jamie Longworth, David Wellison, they're going to get a chance at some point, aren't they? I think so. I think you're right. I think it, I mean I reckon it would be the current squad would be a a victory for them, but it would be it'd be some game to watch. Uh, maybe maybe that's just too much nostalgia for me looking back. Speaking of which. Give me my lineup, and I don't. I don't want to know how my lineup would do against the current Queens Park team. Just tell me my lineup. Right. I, I will say this before I go through your lineup again. Right. I actually really like your lineup, and I think if you just fired them in a um, league two, I reckon they would have a chance at winning the league easily. Right. So I, I will give you credit there. So Willie Muir, Barry Douglas at left back, Paul Payton at right back, Tony Quinn at centre back, uh, Ricky Little at centre back. Um, at left mid we've got goal right mid we've got Chucky Watt centre mid we've got Anderson and Kettlewell striker we've got Daly upside Longworth that would that would do some damage in League 2 wouldn't it? themselves or other teams do you know the thing is right? I think the standard of football and the athleticism of players has evolved quite dramatically even over the past 10-15 years and I'll be honest with you, I don't think that team would do particularly well, even in the current League Two. And Maybe some of the defence is all right. I think the defence is okay. The playoffs, come on. No, I don't. <laughs> Maybe I'm being hard. Be Anderson and Kettlewell. Ah, goal. Enzo, you're just miserable, right? That's it. Have a have a laugh. Come on, have a bit. Tell me that team's you know winning League Two. Tell me that team's winning League Two. That team is winning League Two. There they're pumping go. them down. They're. they're they're walking exactly. all over Sterling Albion, no bother at all. Love to hear it. We're going to move on now. <laughs> before, before Enzo can roll back, we're going to move on now. As we will get all those teams posted on Twitter for everybody to see. We're going to move on to previewing the Inverness game this coming Saturday. It is a 5.30 kickoff Saturday evening because this was another fixture clash with 
Syngenta, who obviously didn't want to give up their Saturday slot for their own reasons, and they're very much well within their right to do so. Uh, we have managed to come to an agreement between, obviously, ourselves, Syngenta, and Inverness to play on Saturday evening. So Syngenta are now going to be shifting their kickoff to one o'clock, and we will be playing at half past five. Um, while I look up the actual Inverness statement that they posted, because they did post a sort of wee thread to kind of explain it to their fans, because, I mean, it's fair to say their fans aren't particularly happy with that change. I mean, it's a fair, it is still a fair distance, even to, you know, Falkirk or to Edinburgh, it's still a fair distance for them to travel. It's, I, I, again, well, let's just take it, let's see it as it is. It's another fixture change because of this stadium move. Well, see, yeah. to be honest with you, right, I would, I think most people... Given a bit of advance warning, would rather play at half five on a Saturday than on a Friday evening. The issue, obviously, is that it's a little bit short notice. And my understanding is as well for Inverness fans, it is very, very tight if you're if they're travelling by public transport to get home afterwards. So yeah, that that might be slightly problematic for some people. I know, Callum. I think I think you mentioned that it's a bit difficult for you to attend now as well, which is obviously very frustrating when you have a season ticket. But um, I, it's just it's you can't you can't blame Syngenta if they want it. They've got a no. I believe they've got a long term lease at Oakview to be playing their home games there for for the foreseeable. So they they do have they have priority over us and fair play to them sticking standing their ground. Yeah, which is which I totally agree with, and I wouldn't expect them to do anything else. It just comes back to the the sort of communications thing again, doesn't it? Because I appreciate it's probably a a scenario of the club haven't had it confirmed until the point in which they had it confirmed. But it is, it is incredibly frustrating because I mean, for me, it's like fine. I won't be able to go to the game. That's, that's annoying in itself, obviously. And we kind of had base plans around that. But I mean, for Inverness fans that have bought train tickets, that can no longer use those train tickets or, or whatever it may be. It's just a bit of a faff, isn't it? Um, so yeah. I'm wondering if the club, obviously we've not done it so far this season, but given the distance to Inverness, obviously, I'm wondering if maybe they'll consider putting on a stream on Saturday, given that it's not a three o'clock kickoff. I don't know how likely that is, how difficult it would be for them to to arrange something like that, but I think that'd be a really good alternative for people that now can't attend anymore, but I suppose I suppose we'll see. Because um, it, it is going to be a really interesting game. It's, it's two teams, like we said, who haven't been on great form recently, and Probably both feel as though they've got a, a point to prove. So, yeah, it'll be a shame for, for people that, that are going to be missing out now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Inverness statement that they posted back um, last week, it kind of just explains, you know, the, obviously we were unable to have the pitch at three o'clock, so we needed to find an alternative. We initially wanted to, you know, be proposed Friday night, but Inverness, you know, quite rightly said, well, no, because if the game's not finishing until half past nine or so, their players, their fans aren't going to get up the road until well after midnight. And they didn't want to swap the game. The The proposal was made to swap the game to Inverness. And obviously we'll take two home games to, to finish the season against them. But they obviously had the concerns about their pitch and everything. And that's totally fine. You know, as it goes back to the communication, things like that, you know, we just simply got, for our statement, the game's been moved. And that was it. Inverness kind of explained it a little bit for their fans. And as I say, whether. Inverness fans are happy or not with that explanation. At least they got one there. As for the stream, it would be very interesting to see if that would happen because we are—I know—we are still the like the only club in the league that doesn't still actually broadcast streams. Um, every other club still has the the facility to do it and does so for fans 
out with the UK, obviously for the three o'clock kickoffs or for games that have been moved. And there's still quite a few that do get moved in this league. They are being broadcast. It would be interesting. I've never understood why we stopped the, the streaming side of things. And yeah, I think that's a real good idea Enzo, if, if the club were able to do that. It would be a bit of mitigation, wouldn't it? Um, to try and sort of let that happen. Um, and just back on the very briefly on the comm side, I do think there is like just a wee bit about apologising for it as well because I don't think there was anything in that statement. It was kind of matter of fact fixtures would change, and I think there was a thanks to Inverness for for agreeing to it. Um, I do think it would go go some way to at least acknowledge the inconvenience that it causes to to a lot of people, but. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely in the stream. It would be it would be great if they were able to do that, um, because I assume it falls out with all of the the laws around um, not being able to yeah. show yeah. games at three o'clock. So if if we're outside that, then it would be it would be nice. Yeah, it would it would be it would be more money in for the club. You'd you'd think so, or more eyes on the you know on the game and and watching the team. But we will see if anything like that is announced um, going forward. So yeah, in terms of the actual game, then on the day so as we've said both teams are in not you know the greatest run of form right now in terms of the league standings so queen's park currently sit in sixth place on 21 points inverness are joint third but with the goal difference coming into play they are in fifth place on 22 points so we're still very close in the league um it's a chance to leapfrog. We'll need to look at the other fixtures for the weekend. We'll obviously recap them at the very end. But it's a chance for us to jump ahead of Inverness potential with a win on Saturday. Now, we've all heard about the injury woes, but there's also the selection woes for Inverness, where it seems like they've dropped first-choice goalkeeper um, Mark Richards. In terms of Inverness, first of all, Enzo, wait, wait, how, many play- how many players on the bench do you think Inverness are going to be able to show up with on Saturday? Well... It's a really good question. So on uh, at the weekend there, they had eight players injured. So I'll go through those players just in case anyone anyone's curious. So they had Robbie Diaz, Danny Devine, Tom Walsh, Daniel Mackay, Scott Allardyce, Roddy McGregor, Austin Samuels and Matthew Strachan, all unavailable for selection, which is a huge number of players. And I know a few of those guys are pretty... Those A few of those guys would be in there starting 11. And it's it's having quite a big impact on the results because Inverness are a decent side and they had gone on a decent run of form up until the past four games. I think they'd won something like four or five in a row and they looked as though they'd really picked things up. Then the injury started getting worse again. They've been really unfortunate this season, but I'll be honest, I want us to be capitalising on that. I want us to really go for it. I think we've got it in it and us to beat them. We The game up there at the first day of the season was quite an interesting one because... I think it could probably have gone either way. In hindsight, again, I think we should have won that one too. But I think it could really have gone either way. Maybe a draw was a fair result. I don't know how big their squad is, whether they'll be bringing in youth players and stuff to, to fill the bench, make sure they've got enough uh, enough people there. But um, I see this as a real opportunity for us to, to get back into winning ways. Yeah, I would. I totally agree with you that if if you're going to beat them, then it should it should be around now. It is interesting when you kind of look at Inverness and how they've done this season because they've scored fourteen and they've con- uh, sorry they've scored sixteen and they've conceded sixteen, which has them at like I think outside our growth and Hamilton, that's still the lowest goal scored out of any of the teams in the league. Yeah, it is by a sort of decent margin as well. So. They're not a high scoring side and from what I can see they haven't actually scored more than more than one goal since they, they beat Dundee three two and that was back in seventeenth of September. So 
that's quite a run of of low low scoring games. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how we match up against them because I thought the the game up in Inverness was was pretty good. It was the the classic football cliche, a game of two halves. We done really well in the first half. Jake Davidson scored that sort of marauding run um, down the right side of the pitch, and Inverness looked a wee bit quality in the second half. So yeah, I would I would hope that we can sort of. Yeah, I just want a comfortable win. I don't want to be stressed out my not every week. The game up in Inverness was a bit of a strange one because obviously we didn't know how we were going to match up to the, the better sides in the championship at mm, the time. Yeah. And I think we were all quite pleased to come away with a win. Uh, sorry, I wish sure. we were coming away with a win. To come away with a point. Inverness away is a, a tough fixture to get drawn in the first day of the season as well. But now that we've seen how we match up against everyone in the division, some teams more than once as well, I just... I think given their injury woes, given the fact that they tend not to score too many goals, listen, we tend to concede a lot as well, so it, it wouldn't actually shock me if this was the first game since that Dundee match where they did score another goal. But I think if we have any real ambitions to be challenging for the top four this season, this Saturday is a game where we really need to do, but we really do need to bounce back from a poor run of form and start picking up the wins again. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, when you look at Inverness' last five results, so going from the, the oldest game of these five, so they did beat Cove 1-0 back uh, 15th of October, but then they lost to Hamilton, who, well, you know, we all know, toiling at the bottom of the league. They drew one each against Wraith. They were then pumped 4-0 by Morton, and then they drew last week there to Arbroath, one each. So in their last four games, they've lost to... They've lost and drawn to the two teams at the bottom of the table. Now, listen, we are not in any great run ourselves. Obviously, we've got we had that performance of the four 0 thistle. We played well again in spells against Dundee and in spells against Cove, but we are, yeah, we we are struggling ourselves to be consistent in any way, shape, or form. So, having talked enough about Inverness there and their squad, let's look at our squad for this coming Saturday. Callum, we maybe have, as we've spoke about defensive woes, we'll come back to that. In terms of going forward, there's a big question mark of Dom Thomas coming back in. Who do you think, number one, do you think Dom Thomas will come straight back in? Number two, if you do, who is making way for him? Yeah, and we probably definitely 100% should have mentioned this when we were talking about the Cove game, but my God, we do miss him, don't we? Like, Thomas is so good at sort of cutting defences apart. Um, so for me, it's not even a question. Dom Thomas comes into the side again. Um, I don't see a scenario where I wouldn't not play him. Um, so for me, I would actually like to go back to a four-four-two. I want to see uh, Thomas and Savory back in. I want to see Murray and Williamson up front. Thompson Boateng in the midfield, and then we get to the defence, and that's where it gets tricky, doesn't it? So I think I would be inclined to go with Davidson at right back on the assumption that uh yeah Davidson at right back I I'm going to say that in the center backs I want to play Naismith and Kildee and see what Naismith can do and at left back have Cameron Bruce so it's a bit of a potentially horrific dodgy defense but I just feel like some players should be given some kind of opportunity at this point because let's face it we're we're pretty um pretty woeful in defence over the last few games. So um 
might shake it up a bit, even if it's not a permanent solution, just putting these guys into the squads, kind of giving people a kick up the backside. That's definitely interesting. I don't know if we are realistically going to see a change in shape because we we still knocked the ball about really nicely against Coven with with Thomas back in. We will maybe have that cutting edge, the, the way he tears defences apart, like you say, that, that we were lacking up, up in Aberdeen on Friday night. I don't know what I want to see, to be completely honest with you. I really struggled to answer the question, what do you want to see from Oh, that was definitely my want to see, by the way. That is yeah. what I think we'll see. Yeah, yeah. So what I th- see, yeah, but I, I don't actually know what I want to see either. That's the, that's, the, that's the difficult thing. What I think we will see is I think he'll stick with the same shape that we've had for, for quite a while now. I think Thomas will come back in on the left-hand side. I, I think Savory will play on the right, and I actually think he'll keep Jarrett in just behind Murray. Possibly, though, what we might actually see instead would be Savory in the middle behind Murray with Thomas out on the right and McPaik on the left. I don't really know. I'm not 100% sure where uh, where Coyle's head's at with that, and I'm, I'm not entirely sure which of the two options I would prefer either, to be completely honest with you. Obviously, Thompson and Boateng go without saying. That's just that you just don't touch the, the middle of the park at all. That stays as it is unless there's any necessity for it to change. And fingers crossed there never will be this season because they make such a great partnership. And at the back, I don't know about your, your shouts for Naismith to start either. I would be inclined. And I, I do, I like uh, I like Bannon. I feel as though he probably had his poorest game for his, his yeah, probably his poorest game for his yet against Cove on Friday night. But I would be inclined to start with Bannon and Kodey at centre-back. I, I don't know how that's going to work out. I'm, I'm not totally sure. But yeah, that's what I'd probably go with, with Davidson at right-back. And the left-back position, do, do we know for sure that Robson's not going to be able to play or are we making assumptions here? Ah, totally, totally yeah, assuming. Making the assumption, he limped off, as he obviously went off as well, so we're assuming he's not playing as well. Um, yeah, you... if Robson can't play at left back, I actually think I would probably start David Boating over Cammy Bruce just because I, I don't know if it's a great idea to chuck such a young guy in at the deep end like that. And obviously, we've heard rumours that allegedly David Boating's more of a left sided player than a right sided player, so maybe he'll just look a bit more natural down that side because I, I think he's been really poor when he has played. Whether it's, yeah, when, he, when he's come off the bench, I don't think he's ever looked up too much. Which is why I'm I'm questioning why I would want to start him. I, I honestly don't know. It's a it's a really difficult one for me. And and to be completely honest with you, there are so many questions all over the park, and I have no idea what we're going to see. That's how I ended up with my defence. It was a lot of uh, self reflection and why are you picking him? Is it because I feel like there's players that you feel like you should pick because in theory they should be decent. Yeah. Um, which is where you get into a tricky situation, and it is it is kind of interesting because I feel like for the last few weeks, um, when we've talked about team lineups it's been maybe one or two changes that we kind of expected and we've almost called like we have called the side for the last few weeks in terms of what coils ended up picking um so it'll be i think this is the first week in a while where anything really could happen in terms of the lineup and maybe that's what we need maybe that's that little kind of shake up of things is, is what we need to get us out of this i don't want to call it a rut because we still did get that really good win against this so we drew with Dundee. One man in six is, is, is struggling a wee bit. It's not where I thought we would be at this stage after such a positive start to the season. So, yeah, maybe maybe being forced to make maybe even three or four changes will do. Is the world a good? Who knows? Yeah, it may well be. I um, For what it's worth, I think, yeah, Davidson at right back. I'm probably agreeing with you, Enzo, for your back four. I think 
if, if this is, of course, assuming Ezzy and Robson are unavailable, it would be for me Davison right back, Bannon and Kilday, who, I mean, again, I actually thought himself wasn't too bad against Cove. He had a couple of really good tackles, but he's continuing his sort of decent run of form. Um, Bannon and Kilday, and yeah, I'd, I'd probably be picking David Boateng because, yeah, it's given him a chance and. I want to see him have. I want to see him have a good game, and and maybe if he gets another start, he obviously started out Cliftonville at left back. Maybe a bit of a different game because Cliftonville were kind of just absolutely going for it, and it was maybe a, a sort of different kind of game plan is what you'd expect. But maybe in the league it might be better from the very start rather than being chucked in in the middle of a game. I don't know. So yeah, for me, I'll take that back for as well. Midfield two, of course. As for up front. For me, I'm I am quite liking McPake on the left at the moment. I've I've said multiple times I'm a fan of Patrick Jarrett. I'm I'm enjoying his his run of form. Again, probably his worst game so far against Cove. He had a couple of really good chances to score that he couldn't quite take. So for me, it would I then kind of tie myself into dropping Grant Savory, and even I don't like saying those words. So I'm not. Well, I just go out and say. Just, I tell you what, I'll go back on what I just said. Put Grant Savory into the middle. Jarrett had a poor game against Cove. Bring him off just now. Start Dom Thomas. So keep the 4-5-1, but put Savory in behind Murray. What about that? It's a bit of a lottery. You might be right. Yeah, well, we will obviously wait and see what happens. We'll see if we get any team news during the week. And then, of course, what happens come... It'll be, what, 4 o'clock? Half past 4 on Saturday when we get a team lineup announcement? Let's make our predictions. Uh... Once again, there will be no points on our league table because none of us predicted a 2-0 defeat. That is true. So we go back to the default position of Enzo, you get to go first since you're currently sitting on 8 points. I have 10, David has 11. Cool. Uh, so I'm actually going to make quite a quite a conservative prediction by my standards and I'm going to go with a 1-0 victory for Queen's fancies to win quite a cagey match. I don't think it's going to be high scoring. I think they'll maybe be I don't know. I think there'll be a lot of sitting deep, possibly even from both sides. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I don't I don't think there's a lot of goals in this one. So yeah, I fancy to win 1-0, and I think Murray will finally get back on the on the score sheet. So yeah, there, there's my prediction. Interesting. Well, I, I've also went with a, a clean sheet, so I'm just convinced that my, my makeshift defence is gonna gonna see us through this one. So I've um, went 2-0 Queens and I'm also going for Murray because I mean just law of averages, surely he's gonna get he's gonna get one at some point. And Thompson has been knocking at the door for a wee while now, so I reckon he will um he will get one. Alright then, so that's one nil and two nil. Well Inverness aren't really big goal scorers, but I still don't know if I trust us fully to keep the clean sheet. I'm going to take 3-1 Queens because I think we will finally start taking those chances. I pray that we finally start taking those chances. And it will be, I agree, Simon Murray. Um, Simon Murray with two. There we go. That's how to break Ooh, the Back streak. with a bang. Yep. Simon Murray with two and... Dom Thomas coming back into the squad, getting one. Nice. I did actually consider saying Thomas myself as well because I feel as though 
he's going to be quite hungry having watched the, the Cove game from the sidelines where by the way I thought he came across really well on TV I thought he talked a, a really Aye, good game a, did a very good job yeah yeah and I think he's going to be hungry to, to get on the score sheet himself having watched that he'd have probably been quite frustrated seeing situations where he could have probably had a really positive impact so I think that's probably a good prediction him to score he was the model for the Scots, the sponsors photo shoot back at the beginning of the season. He's now a TV pundit. Is there anything Poster boy. He, he can do it all. What a guy. Um, let's very finally just have a quick look at the other fixtures in the championship and see what we think, what's going to happen there. You've got Hamilton at home to air on Friday night. Arbroath Cove, Dundee Wraith, Morton Partick Thistle. Do we... I don't know if I really want to be cheering on Morton. It feels a bit weird saying that, but if Thistle lose five in a row, that would be that'd be something else, that wouldn't it? Well, you've got to find that balance, right? Do you want to eke out McCall staying for the whole season, or do you want him to potentially get sacked and then them have a wee bit of a revival after they hire someone else? So I'm I'm more in the camp of uh, let, let's keep McCall for a while longer because I can't believe I'm saying that, but I don't want Morton to run away with it. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah. I don't think Morton will run away with it. I think having a, such a small squad is going to catch up with them eventually, especially if they take any, if they, if they find themselves getting any injuries to, to the more important players particularly. Um, but in terms of Thistle, I, I have no idea what to expect. I mean, I watched McCall's post-game interview on the back of the, the game they lost to Dundee when they were 2-0 up and losing 3-2. Just, that, just, that just shows how, how absolutely shot that team's confidence is. And you could see it from the interviews. He... He kind of looked as though he was out of ideas, and uh, that that's that's the impression that I get from them right now. I'm not I'm not totally sure, but here here's a here's a bit of a, a prediction that I don't think anybody would expect me to make. I think on Friday night Hamilton Arkies are going to get a result against there. Why? I have absolutely no basis for that whatsoever. It's just this league is crazy, and this that is exactly the kind of game on TV on a Friday night. Something weird's going to happen. They are getting into that really, really tricky territory for, for Hamilton and Arbroath now, right? Because you said, did you say Arbroath are playing Cove, David? Arbroath at home to Cove, yes. Yeah, like that's a massive game because you've got Arbroath on 11 points, Cove at 16. I mean, they talk about the old six-pointer. That, that really is it. Because if, if our, like for example, if Arbroath lose and Hamilton lose and they're both sitting on 11 points, let's just, that obviously would mean that Cove win, they go up to 19. So then you're sitting at an eight-point gap already. Like that's getting into some proper risky territory. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'd rather just have two teams languishing at the bottom, so we can just make sure that in case anything really does go horrifically wrong for us, that that's that's not in any consideration. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. Um, I do. It's also worth highlighting, and by the way, you you already talked about the Morton Thistle game. Dougie Emery, I believe, got manager of the month, which is a bit of a poison chalice, usually, isn't it? So. It well, might be worth know, it. He, he got it for September slash October. So is that... I'd, I can't work out if they've just done the one award for the two months or has he been given it for both? I'm not really sure. Oh, what that's a there, good question. But, Don't know. Um, yeah, if, if if he's got it twice, there you go, a double poison he's challenge. Not have, he wouldn't have got it for September, surely, because they get pumped off of Thistle in September. I'm sure the wee announcement... I'll, I'll see if I can look it up right now. But I'm sure it said he's been awarded it. Yep, got it here, the Morton page. Dougie Emery... Today named uh, Championship Manager of the Month for September forward slash October. So in, they, in September they didn't win a game. Yeah, I have no idea what's going on there. Then I'm, I'm, it must be October, surely. Aye, because they they started by losing. 
to Thistle at the start of October, and then after that, they went on the run off the back of beating us, basically. Yeah, strange one there, but we will see what happens this weekend and where we lie in the table come well, Saturday night. It'll be by the time that the last championship game is done, which is, of course, ourselves at home to Inverness. Well, obviously, the fixture change and the time change isn't ideal. Callum, we will, of course, not see you there, but Enzo, hopefully see you there. Yeah, I'll be there. Good stuff. Well, that rounds up everything that we have to talk about this week. So, as I say, once again, Callum and Enzo, it's been a pleasure as always, and thank you very much, everybody, for listening. You can, of course, find us on Pine Bovril, all the threads relating to Queen's Park, on Twitter, at Spiders Talk Pod. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you all again next week. Cheers. Cheers, thank you. Come find out, league match of friendly. But then the castle attendee. Play for the sake of the game. Play for the sake of the game.